strangers in the night So behold my hands to this melody Setting my soul in the corner of cell Rap game has demons in this field Okay, hey everyone, I'm back and I'm happy to be back at it and active. I had to take a little bit of time from social media, from um, putting out as much content. I really wanted to regroup and figure some things out as far as, as far as, you know, putting together more long form podcasts because that's something I feel like I shied away from and that was something I really wanted to implement in the beginning so as you notice with this podcast it's going to be three hours and I did that for a reason and I took a lot of time on this one because you know as far as everything goes you know I'm still going to be putting out content daily and I'm still going for the jugular as far as you know short form content but I'm also going to be putting more stuff on YouTube so I'll be able to balance things out and I gotta say you know taking the time from social media really helped because you know I as a whole like for me like social media is very cool it's it's great for promotion and but my issue with it is that if you're on it too much, you know, like I was on it quite a bit trying to promote my pages. It just it gives you a headache because you're looking at this screen and this fake world and this, you know, this system where everyone is seeking approval from one another. And it, it does get tiring at times. And I had to take a little bit of time. And if there is anyone who, who stopped listening, I apologize. I am coming back with more content. I even released an interview with TJ Marshall. And throughout this podcast, I wanna, I'm wanna i going to have a guest come on. I'm going to talk to them. Um, I'm going to have a playlist at the end. You know, some artists I really like. I'm, I'm really trying to do things differently here. And it's it's going to be fun. I'm not saying I won't do shorter podcasts. I'll still do the 30 minutes, the hour-long podcast. I'll still do the five-minute ones. And I want to do the three-hour ones. I want to do a bunch of different shit because if you're putting out the same kind of content, you're not really evolving. I had to take some time. I've been putting out content consistently for this podcast since December of 2017. You know, I might have t- taken a couple of little breaks in between, but it was never... You know, I've never taken months and months off. You know, I didn't even take a month off. I took a kind of a hiatus, I guess, from the social media part, but I was still putting out content. And what I did notice that was interesting is that I feel like it gave people some time to catch up on what I previously released. You know, I noticed that the Missy Elliott podcast did better than than the one before. And uh, what is it? The Our Hip Hop Fans Fickle, the TJ Marshall podcast. I noticed these things and... You know, it really makes me happy and I, I just want I just I just wanna get caught up. You know, I wanna I wanna show the people that I'm up to new things. 
and I'm willing to expand and, and just, you know, grow. Because if you're not growing, nothing is happening. You got to try new things. You have to take a risk. And, and that's just how it goes. And for everyone who's been listening, I really appreciate it. And I just want to get into it. So Joyner Lucas has been in the news a little bit. And so has 50 Cent. And the Trey Song song, you know, the thing about the Trey Song shit, I don't really know about that. I don't want to comment on that. But there are other things that, you know, 50 Cent has gotten involved in in this past year. And one thing that he did get involved with is uh, Joyner Lucas and Sean Money XL. And if you don't know, Joyner Lucas recently dropped Sean Money XL as manager, uh, claiming Sean Money was essentially on some Jerry Heller shit, just trying to take his, his trying to take his money and cut a check. And 50 Cent even went on to confirm that. And then later on, Sean Money XL accused Joyner Lucas of playing the victim. So let me read some of these tweets. So Joyner Lucas tweeted out when. When out when at Fifty Cent st- started publicly airing out Sean Money XL and assassinating his character, I never understood it. I get it now. I let him go six months ago because he doesn't work but wants to collect a check. I got a lot of questions. I believe only Fifty can answer. Tell Fifty hit me up. Several hours later, Sean Money fired back and said Lucas wasn't telling the truth. These rap dudes tell lies and always want to act like victims. He wrote. And, I mean, the thing is, I, I wasn't there. You know, what what is here saying what isn't? But overall, it's just a really weird fucking thing considering, you know, Sean Bunny XL, he does have a lot of experience. But the truth is, you know, a lot of managers are kind of there to take your money. And that that's not a diss to Sean Bunny XL. I'm just stating the facts. You know, a lot of young up-and-coming artists get ripped off by managers who really don't have any direction for them. So it goes to show that the people that you put in your corner, they can make all the difference. So, you know, with everything, you know, this whole entire situation with Joyner Lucas and Sean Money XL, it's pretty sad because Joyner Lucas is gearing up to drop ADHD. And I want to say this, I'm really impressed with his album rollout as far as his records go, you know, Young and Broke, uh, ADHD with Logic. Um, it's really interesting how that all came around, you know, Logic ending up on, ending up on the title track of the album. And I, I got to say, I'm just impressed overall by Joyner and his his work output and his craft. I think I think ADHD is going to be a great album. And that's that's what really makes this sad. Like, I think Sean Bunny XL, if he did anything negative, I really think that he is going to have to pay the consequence and his reputation is doing that. You know, you build up this negative reputation and it can fuck you up. I mean, look at Birdman. Birdman was fucking people over for years, years. And it's insane. Birdman is the quintessential con man in hip hop. And that that I'm just putting it out there. I know that might stir some shit in the pot, but I'm not signing to Birdman, so I don't need to really give a shit. But with Sean Money XL, you know, I mean, it's a shame because he has worked with 50 Cent and the fact that 50 Cent in 2015 came at him with certain allegations that does paint some things, right? But I wasn't there, you know, but I, I got to say, Joyner Lucas, Sean Money XL, I hope they work this out. Um, I'm excited for Joyner's new music and I think it's going to be really good. And yeah, but on to the next one. 
So this next topic I'm going to talk about is in regards to Eminem and Lord Jamar. Now, this is something I've visited a couple of times, and I am working on a draft for an audio essay about Lord Jamar. But the reason I want to talk about this is because there's been this tension between Eminem and Lord Jamar for the past few years because Lord Jamar has been initiating this conversation about white rappers which kind of needs to be had i mean i do i agree with everything that lord jamar says no but at the same time i understand why he would want to initiate such a conversation at this point considering his stance how he came up and being a member of brand nubian but with with this eminem shit it's really been i think it's gonna hit its peak really i i think this whole entire feud because there's, there was a back and forth on Twitter, if you didn't see it, you know, where Eminem said something along the lines of, you know, <clears throat> everyone wants this problem until they actually have to deal with it. And then Lord Jamar tweeted something along the lines of every problem has a solution. And Royce the Five Nine had some comments to pitch in, uh, Conway. And and by the way, uh, yeah, the I'm saving my album breakdowns for a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Conway as well as uh, West Side Gun. I think that these uh, two new signees to Shady Records, including Boogie, you know, Boogie already dropped his project, but I think West Side Gun and Conway are really uh, are a good breath of fresh air as far as personality goes. And, you know, it's really interesting that that this stuff is still happening as far as all this uh, feuding between Eminem and Lord Jamar because a year ago Eminem dissed him on Kamikaze and it was, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was too harsh. It was just him saying, hey, kind of shut the fuck up, you're annoying. And I think Eminem at that point maybe was just tired of people saying shit about him that maybe he didn't feel was true, you know. And I don't know what to think, like, because a lot of um. I, I feel like a lot of these feuds, like, they either come from a really genuine place or really, you know, fucking, I, I want to say, uh, inorganic place. Because a lot of a lot of feuds also happen because of uh, marketing, you know. They say, hey, you know, just fucking, if you do this, start some beef, we can sell your album, it, it, can, it can go easier, and life will be way easier. And I just don't know about that because if you're going to start a feud to sell an album, it doesn't really make that much sense. You know, I I don't know. I, I think that what really kind of makes this refreshing is that this is a real feud. This is a real issue. They really don't like each other. Like there, there are problems, you know, and that's just a fact Like they don't like each other, you know, and and all this rumination I mean, I mean, there's like there's just been this lingering tension for the past few years between Eminem and Lord Jamar because of these comments about white rappers, Yellow Wolf having to jump in and Royce the Five Nine. Like everyone has chimed in about their opinion on this. Everyone from MGK, et cetera, et cetera. So is it I think I think Lord Jamar shaked up the game a little bit and he introduced some topics and agree or disagree i think i think the thing that that's good is like the fact that you can introduce a topic and people can disagree with you and that's the beauty of having an open conversation but as far as lord jamar i'm I'm wondering does he have a diss track in the in the mix i think like does he have a diss track hidden away like he could and that wouldn't surprise me because lord jamar is pretty sneaky and 
I mean that in like the sense of like as a hip hop artist, you know, you can't underestimate him like because he's still a good artist and a good writer. So I think it would be stupid for Eminem to underestimate him. But Lord Jamar did say in an interview that Eminem is better lyrically. So maybe like he's not really trying to go at Eminem in that kind of manner. I think it's more of a question of his impact on the culture and if Eminem really cares as much. And I and listen, Eminem, I think his resume speaks for himself. I think his knowledge very much speaks for itself. You know, I, I think it would be foolish, too, to say Eminem is not a pioneer. It would be foolish to say Eminem doesn't know his shit. He does know a lot of things. He keeps his ear to the underground just as much as I would say Lord Jamar. It's just, you know, the level of popularity that Eminem is at, it is it is true. I think, like, that there have been um, advantages that Eminem has had. And that that's not, you can't really deny that. But overall, I just got to say, like, as far as this situation, I hope it does get resolved, you know, whether it, you know, I just wanted to stay on record. I don't think these these two are going to fight. You know, it, it's not going to happen. I mean, Eminem was on a Conway single bang and he was it's like he was trying to revitalize his uh, beef with cannabis, you know, which was kind of interesting. So either way, I think I think Eminem is just at a point where he's not really fucking around and. I don't I don't think Lord Jamar is either. I think Lord Jamar has always been honest about how he feels about Eminem and I can admire that. Agree or disagree, controversial or not, you know, Lord Jamar is shaking things up a little bit and he's introduced a conversation that has to be had. And Eminem, if he does come with a diss track, I mean I would like to see that. I mean who who would not like to see that battle? I would. Same time, what does it really do? Well, I want to talk a little bit about Bad Boys. If you don't know, they're they're making another Bad Boys movie. And I don't know how how to feel about it yet. I don't know if I should be excited um or or fucking I don't know, cringed out. I I feel a couple of ways about the trailer, you know, and it's interesting because I, I, what what I do like is I have Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. I think that is a really nice addition. But let's take a look at this trailer. I'm just I'm just reacting people. <laughs> Diddy. That better not get me removed. Oh, there's a Porsche and shit. <laughs> okay, so the banter is still kind of there. Okay, it's about to get bad. Ouch. How deep you think you got in your soul? I'm done, Mike. I'm retired. I just want to say, yeah, Will Smith, like, he has no time for anybody. Like, goddamn, Will Smith is out here shooting fucking 90 movies a year. Holy shit. I wonder if, like, Will Smith, The Rock, like, Tom Cruise, if these, ever, if these guys ever get home to their mansion. Like, it's it must be a trip. Like, you have all that fucking money. Like, do you get to enjoy it? I mean, shit. Like, I mean, making movies must be fun, but... Damn. I mean, either way, I'm kind of excited. Let, let's see what happens in this trailer. Oh, 
yeah. hear it. legacy to be muscle shirts and body counts. Look at this mess, it's carnage. Yeah, they this. brought back the chief. Well, come on, Captain, you know I shot some people. Yeah. <laughs> fuck me. Fuck, fuck, fuck. It's crazy. These streets, I never trusted anybody but me. I'm asking you, man. Bad boys. One last time. One last time. Yes. Okay. We're not just black, we're cops too. We'll pull ourselves over later. So the, the jokes are still there. But the, the best part comes at the end. It shows them they're doing the shots like they're being goofy or doing action. God damn. Jesus. It's getting more ridiculous. Shit. feeling it might be bad like here's the inclination where my inclination came from that it could be a bad movie it's coming out in january january that time is notorious for terrible fucking movies i'm not even gonna lie like it's a bad time for movies i mean like fuck i mean i wish the best but i mean I think it's going to be like, I mean, like, listen, bad boys, they're popcorn flicks, you know, like they're there to be fun. If you you can't go to watch a bad boy movie with Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and take that shit too seriously. So I have a feeling I'll probably enjoy it and have fun, you know. Yeah. Speaking of movies, I'm going to go see uh, Pennywise tonight and uh, it's I'm going to talk about that later in the podcast. I'm recording this in segments a little bit. And uh, it should be out on Monday. So if you're listening to this right now, it's probably Monday. But um, right now it's Friday. I'm just going through these topics. But yeah, tonight I'm going to see it after I run some errands. But yeah, Bad Boys. Man, bad Boys overall, like I am excited. I love the original ones. Because the, what I really liked about the original ones was like it didn't they didn't really take themselves seriously at all. And like that was the fun part. Like they knew what they were doing. They were they really weren't overthinking shit, you know. And it was when Michael Bay was kind of allowed just to be Michael Bay and be over the top stupid, and he really didn't get criticized. But I'm I'm kind of excited for it, you know. Uh, Bad Boys, like I said, I'm a fan. I'm probably gonna watch it. You know, I might smoke a little bit, but yeah, I'm gonna have to keep an eye out for that in January. You know, New Year, New Me, shit. But I want to talk about Jay-Z. Apparently, Jay-Z made this deal with the NFL. And people are angry because I don't know if you guys remember, but I believe it was last year when Travis Scott was going to play the Super Bowl. Jay-Z was quite critical of Travis Scott. And a lot of people put a lot of pressure on him. Meek Mill as well. But Meek, I feel like, was coming from a different place. Why Jay-Z, why this shit is interesting is because, you know, 
he's doing this fucking deal that like he's doing this fucking deal and a, f- a business deal with the NFL, a fucking business deal. And he was talking this shit, criticizing Travis Scott for performing and he made a fucking business deal. Isn't that confusing? I mean, this isn't just me trying to shit on Jay-Z, but what the fuck? Why would you do that? Like, what what kind? Like, it really goes, you got to eat your words, all right? If, if he knew he was going to be making this deal months ago, he should have thought about that. But even if he didn't, he should issue an apology to Travis. I mean, not even public. Just hit him up and be like, hey, man, I'm fucking sorry. Like, I came across like a dick, you know? I, I mean, what the fuck? Like, you're, you're really going to do that? Like, he... Here's the issue sometimes with old people, all right? I have nothing against Jay-Z. I love him. He's great. Sometimes they have too much shit to say, and they're hypocrites because it's it's fucking really hilarious to to hear how he's like, nah, Travis, like, if, you're, if you do that, it's not in the support of black people. It's not in support of the black community. Well, what does this jackass go and do? He goes and signs a deal with the NFL, the people who are putting pressure on Colin Kaepernick, and I don't know what, what the fuck is happening. You're signing this multi-million dollar deal. <clears throat> it's, a, it's bullshit. And you want to criticize Travis Scott this up and coming kid. I mean, not up and coming. He he's established. Now I, I don't want to say up and coming. No, he's established. He's put in the work and he's fucking laid the foundation. And you're gonna, you know, put him on blast and and try to make it seem like he doesn't care about the black community. Like him doing that is spiteful. When he's a fuck. I mean, listen, you get you're getting paid to perform at one of the biggest events ever. And this actually, I want to give a shout out to Akon because Akon is a cool motherfucker. Because in an interview, I saw this in the Travis Scott documentary, and I remember Akon was in support of Travis. And he's like, "Hey, listen, if you were a young uh, artist, like, why would you not want to perform at the Super Bowl? Like, it, it's a big opportunity." But you know, I mean, I mean, so so here's like a little brief description. So. Um, August 15, 2019, welcome to this month in 2019, when Jay-Z looked more like a billionaire than ever, his company Rock Nation signed a deal with the NFL to produce entertainment for events, including Super Bowl halftime, ensuring diverse acts for the show. Okay, that's hilarious. So pretty much what, like, he was criticizing Travis for working with the NFL, now he, he's, he wanted to make a business deal so he could work with the NFL and bring black people to perform at the fucking Super Bowl? The shit he didn't want, the shit he was saying, hey, no, we shouldn't perform at the Super Bowl and support it. Now he's like, no, let's 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 make it more diverse. Let's feed into this agenda. I Listen, this all just seems like bullshit to me. I, it, this is all like, listen, it goes to show a lot like these rappers, like they talk all this shit, but they're not really willing to back it up to the fullest extent. Because as soon as a paycheck gets cut, th- things change, right? It's fucking stupid. And... I feel bad for Travis because that's fucked, man. Like, God damn, Travis Scott is such a good fucking artist. And to get criticized like that, I mean, like, listen, like, I like Jay-Z, but it's like, what the fuck? What in the fuck? What in the actual fuck? What are you doing? You do that bullshit. You fucking, you criticize him and, and, and you say these things about, oh, like, this isn't in support. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find the exact quote. What did Jay-Z say to Travis Scott? I read it in preparation for this, but I forgot because now I'm angry. I'm legitimately angry, you know, and I don't know. Like, it's just stupid. Like, 
I'm legitimately angry about this shit because it's just the ultimate hip hypocrite. Like, I get rappers are hypocrites, usually. I understand that. We're all contradictions. We're all human. But this is insane. I mean, this is just some shit. This is an old article, but this will most likely reveal what I need. Earlier today, it was revealed that sicko mode rapper Travis Scott would be joining Maroon 5 at this year's Super Bowl halftime show. The decision came as something of a surprise, as Rihanna's refusal to perform due to the NFL's treatment of peaceful protester Colin Kaepernick essentially made the decision a political one. That reportedly has made the search for a tough one for the NFL, which is likely delighted with Scott's participation. Scott, however, is hearing about it from a, from a few of his most high-profile fans. Variety reports that Jay-Z, who was spotted with Beyonce at Scott's show in Los Angeles last night, is attempting to talk Scott out of performance. It makes sense, as Ho has been a vocal supporter of Kaepernick's protest, not to mention an advocate in the ongoing protest of police brutality in America. He, too, was rumored to have turned down an offer to perform at this year's halftime show due to his allegiance to Kaepernick. Where the fuck is his allegiance now? Can I ask that? Where is his allegiance now to Colin Kaepernick? Because now he's doing a business deal with him so they could find more quote-unquote diverse artists. Uh, Jay-Z collaborator Meek Mill also expressed his disappointment with Scott on Twitter. Okay, Meek Mill's a little bit of a different case considering he spent five months in prison and he had a bad taste in his mouth. And, and the thing is, Meek Mill is actually sticking to his convictions on this one. And I didn't hear about him signing a multi-million deal, multi-million dollar deal with the NFL. So I'm not going to go at Meek Mill. He doesn't really deserve any smoke. I'm saving it for Jay-Z. Um... But yeah, I just, I just think it's it's in poor taste, you know, because like, he's trying to talk him out, talk him out of it. It just seems weird, you know. It just seems weird that, like, he got all this judgment, all this fucking criticism, like even from hip hop fans. This is why fucking hip hop fans bother me, because like they were fucking really criticizing Travis Scott, saying these negative fucking things about him, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, it's all good. It's okay for Jay-Z to sign with the NFL, this and that. And and it's a divisive topic because some people, some hip-hop fans aren't happy with Jay-Z about this shit, including me, because it's in bad taste. I mean, who can... It goes to show, my God, old people, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, they get preachy, they get on that fucking soapbox, and then at the end of the day... Listen, I'm not saying this to be a dick, but look, it's like he wanted to get on this soapbox about, oh... You know, they need us, blah, blah, blah. Like, you shouldn't do this, Travis. And Travis was just, look, Travis has a family. He, he, why, what's wrong with him getting cut a check? Like, let him get cut a check. All right, what's wrong? I mean, like, so Travis Scott doesn't support Colin Kaepernick if he performs? That doesn't make any sense. Like, what, that doesn't have, that does, it, this shouldn't just be a political conversation. It, it's, come on, like, it's, fucking Travis is a sports fan too, so, it's just, I know, it's a shit show, but let's see what else. So ASAP Rocky, uh, he has some new music out, um, but I don't really want to talk about that right now because the music, the visual was very crazy with the, the pigs and everything. I thought that was really cool. It was interesting, and I think ASAP Rocky, he must be quite inspired after his experience, but there's something else that's really um, disturbing. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Instagram hitting up rappers and shit. Uh, ASAP Rocky, Swedish lawyer injured in Stockholm shooting. 
So uh, let me let's go to Forbes, okay? So top line: A prominent Swedish lawyer who represented rapper ASAP Rocky was shot in the Swedish capital of Stockholm on Friday morning. This was definitely planned. Police are treating it as an isolated incident, and several people have been arrested for questioning. Officers said Henrik Olsen Lajja, or however they say his name, was shot in the head and chest, and reportedly called the police himself. Holy shit, he got shot in the head and chest and called the fucking cops. With emergency services responding at 8.59 local time, Swedish newspaper Express and reported he was taken to hospital in an ambulance. A spokeswoman for the Swedish Bar Association confirmed to Forbes that Lilje was the victim of the shooting. Police are investigating the matter as an isolated incident. It is not known whether the lawyer was targeted because of his work. Witnesses say they were they saw a person wrestle with the lawyer in a stairwell in central Stockholm before he was shot and used the neighbor's phone to contact police. Police have arrested a woman, reportedly also a senior lawyer, who had previously been banned from contacting Lilja. Express and reported that shoot that the shooter has been identified as a man while a black SUV that was spotted at the scene sped away and is being chased by officers. He was conscious when he was conscious when police were contacted, but the, his current condition is unknown. And uh, let's see. Crucial quote. The people are. Right, so, yeah. So this situation is just crazy because I do have some theories, you know, um, like I. I, I all right, like such a high profile case, ASAP Rocky. He's defending uh, a foreigner, um, a, a foreigner, um, and a performer, an artist, uh, in his in his home country. So I could I could imagine that maybe someone, maybe the mafia. I could Sweden probably has a mafia. I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe took offense to that. You know, there's a number of crazy things that could happen. I mean, goddamn, like that that's just fucking unfortunate though. You know, um I wish the best for the guy. Like uh I'm I'm happy A- I'm happy ASAP is out. That guy didn't deserve to get shot. Um the lawyer uh you know, but I, I hope he pulls through. I hope he's okay. I wish him the best. And yeah, you know, it's just unfortunate when this kind of shit happens to people cuz I don't you know, who the fuck wants to see this kind of shit? No one does. You know, nobody wants to see someone get shot over some shit like this you know um it it just it kind of makes it just makes me sad you know like i this is not what the fucking hip-hop culture should have to deal with you know we shouldn't have to deal with this kind of like a bully type behavior of oh you defended this rapper we're gonna shoot you you know and it's like even you know the manager of t grizzly was uh killed um, when his when the vehicle was shot up in Detroit, and there was an article, you know, I wanted to, I, the reason I I waited to talk about this because there's just, there's been so much happening. I had to take time to really sink, like let everything sink in. All this music, all this, you know, all this news that's been happening. A car transporting T Grizzly was shot up in his hometown Detroit, resulting in the death of his manager and aunt and aunt. Sorry, and aunt. God, that's fucking terrible. Jobina Brown. Local law enforcement states the shooting occurred Tuesday night with bullets aimed for his Cadillac Escalade as it was stopped. TMZ details Grizzly was exiting the vehicle as it was stopped and a shooter approached on foot, fired, and hit Brown on her left side. Brown reportedly screamed right before the shots were fired. Grizzly nor the driver were injured and police have not confirmed if he was the target. He did stay at the scene while the driver called authorities. Brown passed on the way to the hospital. She was 41 years old. So... 
basically fucking yeah ants are getting killed family members are getting killed you know lawyers are getting shot at like what what kind of it's like this time we're living in you know it makes me think like have we gotten not how how far have we gotten from you know the tupac and biggie shit you know are we really um getting on the right track are we really doing things right and you know as i record this today is a saturday and it is the anniversary of mac miller's death uh, the date is, yeah, September 7th. So it's the anniversary of Mac Miller's death. And some news did come out about uh, his drug dealer. And I believe, yeah, he was taken into custody. I'm just going to pull something up. But I just want to say rest in peace to Mac Miller. Uh, Swimming is still one hell of a project. Probably one of his best albums. You know, he put out a lot of amazing music. But it's, uh, it's just really heartbreaking. You know, like everything ended like this but uh mac miller's alleged drug dealer breaking down the case against him so let's go yep complexed complex.com i'm complex all right on september 4th days shy of the one-year anniversary of mac miller's death the u.s attorney's office of the central district of california charged 28 28 year old cameron pettit with selling the drug that killed the rapper pettit who was denied petit what Pettit, I'm going to call him Pettit, who was denied bail by U.S. Magistrate Judge Maria Adaro per the Fed's request, faces up to 20 years in prison. Despite the eerie timing, the case was not timed to coincide with the anniversary of Mac's death. Mac's death, not Max. Max. Uh, Max. Mac. Spokesperson, U.S. Attorney's Office spokesperson Thomas Mazowick told Con- these names are terrible. The government released a 42-page criminal complaint against Pettit that goes into the details surrounding the night Mac brought bought the drug that killed him. Here's a breakdown of what those documents reveal and a summary of the case against Graham and Pettit. So yeah, listen, I just want to say um, you might want to skip ahead if you don't want to hear about this stuff. You know, I'm I'm a fan of Mac Miller. But I'm just going to read this stuff because it's like, it's just, it's a breakdown of what's happening. And I think people need to know. Cameron James Pettit is a 28-year-old executive chef at the at the Sayers Club in Hollywood. According to his Facebook page, he is also, the government says, a drug dealer and one of his clients was Mac Miller. What is Cameron Pettit being charged with? Pettit is charged with distribution of a controlled substance, a count which carries a 20-year maximum prison sentence. Specifically, the government says that on September 5, 2018, Pettit sold Mac oxycodone, pills that instead of being genuine oxy were instead laced with fentanyl. Pettit is not directly charged with killing Mac. The government points out that the rapper died of mixed drug toxicity involving fentanyl, cocaine, and alcohol. But the DOJ's press release goes out of its way to point out that Mac died after snorting the counterfeit oxycodone pills containing the the fentanyl and those pills had been provided by Pettit. When asked if they planned on charging Pettit... You know, uh, when a- when asked if they planned on charging Pettit with additional crimes, Merzowick had no comment. Why does the government think he did it? The criminal complaint lays out a lot of evidence to back up the contention of that Pettit sold Mac the fentanyl-laced oxy. Texts between Pettit and Mac, the drugs themselves, panicked Instagram DMs between Pettit and a friend after Mac's death became public, and more. 
Was anyone else charged? No one else was charged, but two women are mentioned in the complaint, Mia Johansson and Carla Amador. According to the complaint, Johansson served a dual role. She acted as a backup drug dealer when Pettit was tied up and sometimes took payments for Mac on behalf of Pettit. She also set Mac up with sex workers, including one, Carla Amador, who was with Mac the night she bought the he bought the drugs that would kill him. Amador, the government says, also goes by Carolina Cortez and under the name has starred in adult films. When asked by Complex if any additional people, including Johansson and Amador, would be charged in the case, Mazoic again had no comment. You can see Johansson and Pettit in the Instagram photo below, which is dated April 4th, 20th. So, yes, it's a pic, you know, whatever. Um, what happened on September 5th. Much of the criminal complaint is devoted to reconstructing the events of the night of September 4th into the early morning of September 5th, 2018. Here is the outline of what the, gov the government contends went down. Between a little after 11 p.m. and just before midnight, Mac and Pettit engaged in a long text conversation. Over text, Mac orders 10 Oxy pills, 10 Xanax pills, and cocaine before telling Pettit to deliver everything to the rapper's house. By 1 a.m., Pettit hasn't shown up, so Mac sends him a series of texts asking where he is. There is no response. At 1.12 a.m., Mac starts texting Johansson. Uh, about how Cam is supposed to be, supposed to be pulling up and he isn't answering. Johansson offers instead to send some drugs with a girl. Mac orders five Oxy pills, five Xanax, ten Adderall, five Norco pills, and two grams of Coke. He asks which girls are available, and Johansson says that Carla, who the government contends is Carla Amador, is just after 2 a.m., Pettit finally gets back to Mac, apologizing for getting sidetracked. He arrives and delivers the drugs to Mac a little before 2.30 a.m. It's a little unclear when Amador arrived that morning, but by 2.30 a.m., Mac is texting Johansson and buying an extra hour with Carla. Later on the 5th, Johansson sends Mac a series of text messages about the money he owes her for the night's festivities. $325 for the drugs and $3,000. For five hours of Amador's time, Mac admits that I just wanted an extra hour, but I never told her to leave. All of a sudden, it was 7 a.m. I was just working, and she was kicking it. How do they know Pettit sold the drugs that killed Mac? Mac was found dead on September 7th. Later that day, law enforcement searched his house and found a plastic bag inside of a coat in a bathroom closet. In it, they found all the pills Mac ordered from Pettit and Johansson, except for a few they presumed he had taken. Some of the oxy in the bag was counterfeit and tested positive for fentanyl, which some was legitimate and didn't. How did they know which drugs Pettit sold and which came from Johansson? Pettit described his oxy as 30s, that is generic 30 milligram oxycodone pills. You know, I'm actually starting to realize, like, I feel like this podcast is reminiscent of the first one I did, you know, where I did talk about Little Peep and uh, broke down certain articles. Yeah, so uh, go check out the first podcast if you didn't, but, you know, um, let's see. Pettit described his oxy as 30s, that is, generic 30 milligram oxycodone pills. The counterfeit oxy that Pettit allegedly sold was made to look like 30 milligram pills produced by Qualitest. Johansson, however, offered to sell Mac five oxy and sent him a picture of what the pills looked like. Five pills that matched that description. <sighs> yeah, so. Alright, so you guys get the gist, pretty much. Like, so this this Pettit guy was essentially behind, sold the the drugs that killed him, and um, 
you know, I, I, I think it, it's pretty interesting that everything, like, it, it took a year for everything to come out. Uh, as far as, you know, how he died, I always felt like there was a lot of speculation on this, you know, because I, I don't think he, he wanted to die. You know, I do think he was using drugs. He Maybe he got through a stressful time of, you know, putting out an album, you know, that, that can be hectic for an artist. And then maybe he felt like, oh, this is a reward. I'm going to get some drugs. But, you know, I, I just want to move on from this and just say, you know, rest in peace and I hope justice is served. This is one hell of a situation. It's a really messy case, but I, uh, I just, yeah, like I said, rest in peace. Uh, let's move on to a little slightly light, you know, slight, a lot of a, a light, way lighter. No, I want to talk about Dave Chappelle's, uh, stand up special sticks and stones and damn sticks and stones was funny as fuck. I, I gotta say, you know, in the, in this comedy special, he makes fun of all the people you're not allowed to make fun of. You know who I mean? And what I appreciate the, is he makes fun of everyone, too. He doesn't just make fun of, you know, gay people, transvestites, women, you know, uh, minority. He makes fun of everyone. I'm talking about, like, white people on heroin. And I thought it was great. I thought it was clever. I thought it was well-written. He did not hold back, and he went for the fucking jugular. I got to say, Dave Chappelle... My God, like this project was a uh, was amazing. I, I, I think with with Dave, what I really liked was, you know, I noticed even while watching, you know, you know, my girlfriend pointed out, like, you know, he's wearing a test dummy suit, like, you know, a, a test dummy like that car companies use, you know, like, uh, they they put him in that suit, you know, like a little jumpsuit, and it's interesting, you know, because. At some point in the special, he's like, hey, I'm going to do an impression. You you have to figure out who I am. And he's like, ooh, I'm going to fucking put out some shit that you did 20 years ago. And he's like, huh, who am I? You know, and they start saying whatever, Trump, this and that. But he's like, nah, it's you. So what I think was great with Dave Chappelle was I think he put, he put like some steam on the public. Like he really fucking criticized like the public and the media. And I appreciate that because I think it. I think even Aziz Ansari in his special when he was talking about like a lot of white people just trying to be woke to be woke and everyone's in a competition of wokeness. And to, to see like these comedy specials come in and diffuse some of this tension is great because Dave Chappelle had a lot of really good bits in this, this stand-up special. I mean, I'm a Dave Chappelle fan. And I, I really enjoyed this shit. Like, listen, if you're a Dave Chappelle fan, you're going to enjoy this. You love this. And most people love it. Like, for the most part, a lot of people love it. And what's interesting was, I, they, they, it's like, the, the here here's, I want to talk about cancel culture. Cancel culture. You know, cancel, cancel culture. Cancel culture is a really weird thing because how do you cancel someone? That you can cancel a person, but uh, basically, all right. So if you don't know, Dave Chappelle, like how they set up the Rotten Tomatoes scoring for Sticks and Stones was this. So instead of letting it be rated by the public, they let a couple of really liberal critics rate it, and they gave it a 0%. And then when they opened it up to the public, the public gave it a 98%, which is pretty interesting. So I think like, the powers that be, maybe not the powers, but like whatever, certain media outlets, I think they wanted to paint a picture because, listen, Dave Chappelle just said fuck the media a little bit, you know, and 
like he that's all he was saying he's saying like fuck the media and like fuck people who want to invade my privacy and make me feel a certain way and i'm allowed to have my opinion i'm allowed to be who i am i'm allowed to say what i want and i think that's a powerful message because agree or disagree with Dave Chappelle, I mean, his jokes were funny. I was laughing at them. I mean, the part where he's talking about, he's like, you know, oh, you kill some white heroin addict in my kitchen. They're like, what the fuck, man? You shot me. Like, it was hilarious. Like, I I mean, come on. Like, it's, it's just hilarious. But I think Vice, what bothered me was Vice, you know, <laughs> wrote this fucking article. And... It's it's called You Can Definitely Skip Dave Chappelle's New Netflix Special Sticks and Stones. The comedian doubles down on misogyny and transphobia in both the special and the hidden bonus scene that follows. And now all this, you're just looking at shit on the surface. You're just looking at the jokes. You're just looking at the bold words that he is saying and you're not looking at the deeper layers of it. You know, you're not looking at how he put things together, the T's and the L's, the alphabet, like the way he phrased things. They're acting like it was the most untasteful stand-up special ever when Amy Schumer has put out way... That, that special she did was trash. And that's not a diss to Amy Schumer. I, I like her movies. I think she's funny. But that movie wasn't good. And it it's... I mean, that stand-up special wasn't good. But you see Dave Chappelle, like, this special is fucking good. And he's just, he's bringing that bold face. Like, listen, he's just, he's not playing with people anymore. He's just being bold-faced, and I fucking get it. And this, we're, we're living in a time period where you have to be bold-faced with who you are. Because everyone's trying to tear you down, you know, if if you you don't agree with um certain ideologies. And in this whole entire fucking special dave isn't saying i hate anyone it's he's a comedian he's riffing on society he's he's riffing on everyone and that's who he is and that's what he does and i think people have to realize that's what comedy is you know everyone can get it and everyone got it everyone fucking got it but Let's look at this. Dave Chappelle made a return to Netflix Monday with a new stand-up special, Sticks and Stones. Fans quickly realized that if you watch until the very end, the special has a secret epilogue called The Punchline, where Chappelle answers questions from audience members who went to his separate Dave Chappelle on Broadway stand-up show last July. The special takes the comic's anti-wokeness shtick to a new level, and the whole thing is repetitive and exhausting enough that it's a slog to even make it to the Q&A. Chappelle's controversial 2017 Netflix specials like Age of Spin, Dave Chappelle Live at the Hollywood Palladium, and Equanimity in the Bird Revelation honed his voice as a comedian wary of progressive criticism. That voice is even sharper in his latest, as how I'm going to say it, sharper in his latest special. At one point in his routine, he says he doesn't believe Michael Jackson molested art. Let me look at this. Let me figure out who this person is so I can roast him. Taylor Hosking. Okay, I want to roast you later, but let me just save this. Let's see. Uh, he says he doesn't believe Michael Jackson molested young children. He continues by saying that if Jackson did, the children should have felt lucky their first time was with the king of pop, adding, do you know how good it must have felt to go to school the next day after that shit? All right, so if you didn't see the special, but if you probably did, what I hate about these articles is like they don't look at shit with comedic context. They just take it and put it on paper. So on paper, it may look bad. Yes, I'm pretty sure a lot of like comedy bits, if you put it on paper, it fucking looks bad. A lot of rap lyrics on paper look bad, but on a song, they sound good. Just saying. But 
Chappelle also returned to his now infamous obsession with making fun of trans people, saying, Trans people hate my fucking guts, and I don't blame them. I can't stop writing jokes about these people. This time, those jokes included asking the audience how funny it would be if it was actually a Chinese person, if he, if he was actually a Chinese person stuck inside of a black man's body. <laughs> Which you guessed it also included a racist impression of a Chinese person. He also found time to defend fellow controversial comedians Kevin Hart and Louis C.K., painting them as victims of an overzealous callout culture. He didn't. He did not. All right, guys. Like this is all really just surface level shit. They're saying they're not really. They're not really looking into the deeper meaning. It's not. Dave Chappelle isn't condoning any of the shit that was said. It's. It's just interesting. But in the context of that joke where he, he says he's a Chinese person in a black man's body, like, they're not pointing out, like, in special, he's saying, like, if I were walking around he's doing this racist impression, you'd be like, Dave, that is a terrible racist impression. And blah, blah, he'd be like, this is how I feel on the inside. And, like, it was, the context of it is hilarious. It's not just some bold-faced offensive thing just being said to be offensive. Ah, oh, God, all these other Dave Chappelle's new stand-up is offensive in all the wrong ways. By the time the Q&A plays at the end of the special, Chappelle has already shown his unapologetic approach to courting controversy. His answers put that into even starker view. He says that a white woman left one of his practice sets for the special at the Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco, telling him, I'm sorry I was raped. Chappelle says he replied with, it's not your fault you were raped, but it's not my fault either. Ta-ta, bitch. <laughs> to which the audience laughs rashly as though that as though that were a real punchline. He then followed with a story about sparking an unlikely friendship with the trans woman who says he was laughing the hardest at, out of anyone at the trans jokes at the practice set. Strange story of camaraderie seemed to be the highlight seemed to highlight the common accusation that Chappelle is only interested in repairing his relationship with marginalized groups if he doesn't have to change anything about himself. Chappelle has always been a daredevil comedian willing to take a controversial stance or downplay a serious controversy for laps. All right, wait, all right, hold up, sorry. Chappelle has always been a daredevil comedian willing, willing to take a controversial stance, yes, or downplay a serious controversy for laughs, including his 2000 skits about R. Kelly's court trials. Okay, these skits, mind you, as someone who has been a fan of Dave Chappelle and seen those skits, it's not like he's downplaying it. He's fucking just, if anything, he's amplifying it. Because there's a skit where he's playing R. Kelly and he's like, I wrote a song called Piss On You, Piss On You. And it's obviously not downplaying it. My fucking God, they're even going back to the Chappelle show. They really want to go at something I love. But now he chooses to blatantly ignore the historic criticism against his style of comedy and new loud and clear criticism from the trans community. His approach comes off like a defiant rejection of change at any cost. As he keeps going down this path, drawing attention to the worst aspects of his important career, the biggest cost will be tarnishing his own legacy. I don't think Chappelle tarnished his own fucking legacy. Goddamn, I don't think... Alright, I want to say this. Fuck cancel culture... Dave Chappelle is going to be all right. No, his legacy is not tarnished. And, um, yeah, and yeah, he made jokes about Kevin Hart in the comments, he said. And it was interesting. Everything was interesting. It was funny. But, um, Kevin Hart, uh, 
basically uh he, he got into a car crash recently and um i just want to say you know uh speaking to him just just get better i heard he had a back surgery but it's from page six kevin hart's car lacked important safety features with could which could have prevented many of the injuries he suffered in a car accident earlier this week the souped up 1970 plymouth barracuda hart was riding in did not have a five-point harness and a roll cage the features are critically important for cars like hearts which have also 720 which have a 720 horsepower engine Still, the comedian was lucky to be alive this week after after the September 1st accident. A Mulholland Highway left him with three spinal fractures. He has since undergone back surgery and will require physical therapy to make a full recovery. So, um, yeah, I, I wish him best of luck and everything. Uh, I wish him a speedy recovery. You know, God bless him. Uh, yeah, this is just sad. You know, like like I said, a lot of shit has just been going on. This is why I have to do such a long fucking podcast. I have to get all this shit out here. Um, yeah, just I gotta say that. Uh, please, you know, get better, feel better, and God, that's just an unfortunate situation for Kevin. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's crazy. Yeah, it didn't have a roll cage in the car that fast. Fuck. Um, what what else? So Nikki, oh yeah, Nikki. I don't think a lot of people cared, but Nikki announced Nikki Minaj announced her retirement, and um, I think she she tweeted something, and you know I gotta say um I don't think it it really uh I, I don't really think she needed to say anything, um. It, I I just feel like. It just, it just doesn't make too much sense. I feel like she doesn't have to say much because when rappers say they're retiring, they always come back. That's what bothers me because she's going to come back in a couple of years with another album or some shit, you know. And, you know, and she's talking about, you know, she wants to have a family. And I understand if she's really retiring and hanging up the, the wigs and shit, good for her. You know, if she wants to live her life, good for her, you know. It, it just seems like... And and then I'm I'm seeing these articles that says Nicki Minaj apologizes to fans for insensitive retirement. Listen, it's not what God damn it, these people are so soft. What the fuck? Well, she's apologizing for her retirement tweet? Come the fuck it was not insensitive. It's not like she said, Fuck my fans, you assholes, I'm retiring. Fuck you, fuck you. It's not like like she said that. You know, like, and now she's saying, I'm still right here. Clarifies her retirement announcement. I'm still right. All right, so this doesn't make sense, Nikki. What what kind of shit is this? This feels like a Conor McGregor ploy. Like, I'm retired, wink, wink. Um, After the announcement of Nicki Minaj's retirement exploded on the internet, the Super Bay songstress returned to Twitter and clarified what she meant by retiring. The, the, the news initially hit on September 5th. I've decided to retire and have my family. Nikki, 36, tweeted, I know you guys are happy now. To my fans, keep repping me. Do it till the death of me. X in the box, because ain't nobody checking me. Love you for life. Fans were shocked to learn that Nikki was stepping out of the spotlight when she previously mentioned a new album. The Swalla singer broke her silence as she responded to a fan who asked her to address uh, the retirement thing. I'm still right here, Nikki replied to a worried fan on Twitter. Still madly in love with you guys, and you know that. In hindsight, this should have been a Queen Radio discussion, and it will be. I promise you guys will be happy. No guests, just us talking about everything. The tweet was abrupt and insensitive. I apologize. And 
All right, I get. I guess yeah. To call it abrupt, but I don't think it was insensitive. I mean, shit, it's just Twitter. It's not like you said, "Hey, fuck everybody, you assholes." But I gotta say, I kind of, in a weird way, I kind of feel bad for Nikki. I feel like you know all this controversy and shit. If she does retire, I feel like it's a bad note to retire on for her. All this, all that shit with Cardi B. I I feel like it just didn't paint her in the best way, and it's kind of sad considering where she was. Um, but I do wish her the best, you know, she's still a good artist. It's just like sad, like to see like how everything can really go if you don't, you know, put your chess pieces in, on the right side of the board. And yeah, it's kind of sad because I did notice there was a big Nicki Minaj hate train. Uh, let's, that's, that's a, like, guys, there was a Nicki Minaj hate train. That's undeniable. And it, it, it does make me sad because it's like, you know, she did have great records. You know, I'm not a fan of really what she does too much now, but. She did have some great records, and if she does retire, I think that's, you know, like, wish her the best, you know, go start a family. My issue is, it's just rappers that never retire. Jay-Z comes back, everyone comes back, Eminem came back, everyone always comes back, you know, they can't get enough of it, it's a rush. But, you know, either way, uh, her when she goes on Queen Radio to discuss it, whatever she plans on doing, um, yeah, best of luck to her, you know, because she doesn't need to do music, you know, she can do movies, she can do other things like 50 Cent, you know, 50 Cent for the most part, he can drop a song here and there, but he's pretty much retired from music at this point, he's more focused on other things, you know, and this might just be a good time for Nikki just to move in and work on her business and shit, so, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta just wish her the best of luck and everything, and she has had some good music. Her mixtapes, early mixtapes, were really good. And I think, like, that's when I really got put on to her. And, you know, you got to admit, like, listen, that monster verse that she did on with Kanye and Jay-Z, she bodied two of the best rappers ever. She bodied Kanye West and Jay-Z on, on that monster record. She had the best fucking verse. That's that's right there. So, yeah, Nikki, Nikki's a killer. She came in out rapping these dudes and whatever writer she wrote it or not listen i wish her the best of luck um whatever it may be i felt like i felt like the way she did it you know and then like kind of backpedaled was a little weird but it is what it is but on to danny brown's dirty laundry track i love this video because this is just danny brown being danny brown in this ratchet tastic you know kind of um this ratchet ass music video where he's just riding around acting a fool beating the shit out of old people and uh i can't i think was q-tip behind it i'm trying to think was did q-tip produce this track i don't know for sure but i i, I knew that earlier in the year he was working with q-tip but yeah danny brown he has a show on vice he's doing good i want to give a shout out to danny brown you know he's doing really good and Fuck, I mean, I'm just a big fan. Like, this project that he's doing is really interesting, and I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, that's that's all I really got to say. I'm really excited for what's happening. I think music is exploding. There's so much great underground music, too. And uh, at the end of this podcast, I have a playlist set up. I have uh, recommendations. I got shout-outs. I have uh, some mixtape picks. I'm going to be playing some... Um, I'm, I'm going to be uh, giving some recommendations as far as beat tapes. I'm going to be leaving links. Just showing love, you know, to, you know, trying to build... I want to build this up as a community, really, as far as Chase, Chase Talks Hip Hop. I'm, I'm trying to really build a community you know, I have an email list. I'm, I'm building um, this YouTube channel, the my 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 podcast. You know, I'm organizing my SoundCloud. 
and it's crazy because like basically like my like 2020 i'm trying to kick off the year and just make sure everything is updated you know i'm just updating all my systems getting whatever get a desktop cameras it, it's really just been like the year of upgrading and it's been a slow burn it takes time but i'm just happy to be here you know and podcasting is just fun i get to sit back and talk about this shit you know be a hip-hop head and just be careless about it and it, it's really cool and yeah i just want to say thank you guys for listening i i really appreciate it and uh i just want to get into some album breakdowns all right so let's talk about some of the music that has dropped all right let's pull this up So I have a slurry of music to review, kind of. Um, pretty much I've had the chance to listen to all of these projects, and because there's so many of them, I don't want to take a million years to break down every single track, but I want to jump in and just do some rundowns as far as uh, MGK's Hotel El Diablo. Um, I'm going to be honest, you know, I did put out a podcast uh, stating how excited I was, and it really didn't disappoint. Um, I, I thought that this is what, this was, um, MGK's, I, I, I think like after everything with Eminem, he really took a reprieve and he came back stronger because I, I feel like, I know, I really feel like this project is a huge improvement on, uh, everything else he's done before, even the cover. I, um, I really like what he's doing, but you know, one thing it, one thing is, you know, like it it goes to show that adversity can really sharpen you up because that all that bullshit with Eminem really did help him in this case because I think it lit a fuel, I mean, it lit a fire under him, and I, like like if we go through the records, you know, whether it's uh the intro, which was you know it was a cool intro, El Diablo was great, you know, some of the singles, Hollywood Whore, um, Burning Memories, A Message from the Count. Uh, Truck Norris, Death in My Pocket. Uh, I wasn't too into the lead single with Trippy Red, you know, like that d- just wasn't for me. Uh, Waste Love, I Think I'm Okay. No, that's not a bad one, you know, like so. This album, you know, is just full of MGK going off, and I think like th- this is what people wanted, you know, people wanted MGK to do his thing and put his passion into what he does. And it didn't disappoint because I'm not saying MGK doesn't put passion into his previous projects, but you can't deny that, like, before, listen, that the EP he put out, the Benj EP, was not good. I'm I'm going to be completely honest. I did not like Benj um, at all. You know, I really didn't like it. And it, it, just, it just wasn't that good of a project, you know. I, d- I really didn't like it at all, you know, I mean, Rap Devil was cool, you know, I get that was the diss towards Eminem, but I just feel as a whole, I, I really wasn't the feeling the project, but Hotel El Diablo, you know, MGK MGK fan or not, you know, go check it out, it's a really solid project, and I want to move on and talk about Joel Ortiz Monday, pull up this track list.
So with Joel Ortiz, like one thing that you're always going to get is bars. You know, you're going to get him rapping his ass off. And, you know, this, again, doesn't disappoint. You know, like when you have his time, take take a full listen. I know it's up, up, up for free download in some areas, I think on Datpiff. But, you know, all, all these records, Learn You featuring Big Crit, um, Mama featuring Black Soul, Before Hip Hop, Screens, Jamaican Food, Champion, I mean, if there is one thing I can say about Joel Ortiz is that, like, as far as, like, you know, making music, he is fairly consistent. And this project did disappoint. You know, it really has that New York sound I love. Uh, Great production, great lyricism. And listen, if if you like that style, you're definitely going to like that shit. You know, I love that style of music. I love that style of rapping, punchline, heavy metaphors. And it shouldn't disappoint. And now we have uh, some more, you know, Joel is a legend, you know, but we have a couple of more legends I got to bring up. But uh, Murs and Ninth Wonder recently put out a new project and it is called The Odyssey is Dead. And it's it's kind of complex. Let me look. The Lilad, the Lilad is dead and the Odyssey is over. So I really did enjoy the concept of this project and the music because... I mean, lyrically, you know, Murs always does his thing. But one thing I do appreciate is that, you know, when it comes to production, Murs has a great ear and he works with great producers in turn. And uh, this project with Ninth Wonder, you know, was was uh, definitely not not anything, you know, you should uh, oversee. It was really good. And I recommend you go check it out. Uh, some of my personal favorite songs have to be uh, High Noon featuring Rhapsody and Ruben Vincent, Gas Station Gucci Belt. Um, the intro, the Hulk, uh, fuck them, and uh, Tony Robbins' pocketbook. A lot of really good records. Uh, I recommend you go check it out. Great project. And who else is on the docket? Um, we got Common, motherfucking sense. So Common released a new album. I believe it is called Let Love. What is it called? Common has released a lot of music. I think he has one of the biggest disc- discographies out, but let's see. Yeah, Let Love. So three years ago, he released uh, Black America again. Now he released uh, Let, Lo- Let Love. And, you know, I one thing with this project was, you know, again, like this is Common being Common. Like there were some songs that definitely weren't for me on here, you know, but as far as the his work with BJ the Chicago Kid, I enjoyed that. Her love with Daniel Caesar, like the R and B cuts were really well done. And again, like a lot of the music, like a lot of like the albums I always listen to, are very different from each other. Like I got Post Malone on this list, Earth Gang, Rascass, Jeezy, uh, not Young Young Jeezy, not G Easy, uh. Missy Elliott, NF, Drake, Rick Ross, like, it, so many people have dropped music, and it's fucking insane, you know, like, this is what I mean, I was so overwhelmed, I was so much overwhelmed, I was overwhelmed so much by last month, you know, like, all this music dropping, I'm like, all right, I need to take a break, and I have to listen to all this, and come back to it, um, Missy Elliott, you know, um, yeah, because Missy Elliott has been back in music, you know, and she's been back at it. And she's really been on, she's a, yeah, she put on I- Iconology, the EP, 
Yeah, that's it. Iconology. And um, again, yeah, solid project. You know, I think it was a great return to form for Missy Elliott. You know, I I thought the music was good. It wasn't over the top. You know, she got with the uh, Timbaland and it, it just worked, you know, like, yeah, it, it really, I think what made the project work was the simplicity of it. You know, it was a good EP, short and sweet and to the point, really well done. So uh, hats off to Missy Elliott. And by the way, I'll leave a link. I did a podcast uh, titled Missy Elliott is a Trailblazer. Feel free to check it out. Uh, Drake, the Care Package Project is more of a compilation. It has some singles on it that, you know, aren't, that are new. But it's a compilation full of, you know, some of his more uh, important records, I guess. You know, Freestyles, uh, uh what is it the money can dreams money wait, dreams money can buy stuff like that you know there were some good songs on it you know but a lot of them are a lot of them are just throwback but nf nf i gotta give him um give him props you know where they're due where he where they're due um i i think nf you know works incredibly hard and he put out a pretty good project you know that can't be denied um I, i'm just I, as a fan of like just really good music, you know, um, I, I think, like, last month, you know, didn't disappoint, and NF, <clears throat> like, there were some standout record, <clears throat> there were some standout records on there, you know, whether it's Time, um, the intro track, and a lot of, you know, the content just is surrounded about, you know, dealing with anxiety at such a level as an artist, you know, what you go through mentally, and I found that really interesting, you know, and I, I thought that was that was cool that he was willing to share that and put that out there. So hats off to NF and everything that he's doing. Um, Rick Ross, Port of Miami. I'm I'm not a big Rick Ross fan. So when I listened to this, it was it's a cool project, but like I said, like I feel this way about like Rick Ross and Young Jeezy where it's like I fuck with their music and I do like them, but it's hard for me to really want to sit through a full album, you know what I mean? And that that's where, that's where, like, for me, I'm not, it, it's like, for me, like, I really have to be in the mood to want to hear it. But as far as projects, you know, if you want some good music, you want some bangers, you want something that's going to sound good and rattle your trunk, I recommend, yeah, Young Jeezy's new uh, Thug Motivation, what, 104, and um, Rick Ross's Port of Miami, too. And uh, who was who was next on the list? All right, we got Raskas. Okay, we got the legendary Raskas coming out of the woodworks with a really solid project. And this was something like like I was literally scrolling on iTunes and I was like, oh shit, Raskas. Um, yeah, Soul on Ice Volume Two. And you got features from CeeLo Green, Immortal Technique, Styles P, Snoop Dogg. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's a great project and he does provide a lot of perspective on the current state of hip hop. So I would, I suggest you go take a listen and who else did we got on this list? Okay. We got motherfucking earth gang. So earth gang has been doing really well. They, uh, popped up on dreamville's compilation. Um, I, I think, yeah, they're also signed under dreamville. The album is called Mirrorland, and, uh, and uh, let me read the description. Earth Gang's third proper album, Mirrorland, comes just two months short after their d- label Dreamville's much-celebrated Revenge of the Dreamers 3 compilation. 
The recording sessions for that project, as documented by the camp themselves, seem more like friends hanging out than MCs going to work. From Mirrorland, however, the duo was all business, reclaiming the space they once made for label mates and collaborators to deliver a more concentrated storyline of their lives as young hip-hop outcasts. Everybody's trapping, everybody's hard, everybody's fucking, everybody's broad. They declare with audible boredom on La La Challenge on up. They revel in finding success while moving outside of typical hip-hop circles, and then they come back around to offer fans an alternative to the status quo on this side. They've tapped just a handful of guests to help tell the tale, most notably Young Thug, T-Pain, and Kehlani, artists whose voices are similarly distinctive, all while making music under a name that declares them proudly of this world. And yeah, who else? Malik, Aaron Ray... Yeah, I mean, some of my personal favorite tracks have to be Swivel, Bank, uh, The La La Challenge. You know, like I said, I, th- I think J. Cole, too, he's on a roll, like, with the artists that he's finding and the people that he's scouting, you know. Um, Loot, I've been looking into Loot. When you have time, check out Loot. He has some good music in the woodworks. Um, I know, like, I, I want to mention this, too. If you're, a hip- if you're a hip-hop artist, email me using... I, I, there should be a link below in the description... If you use Chase Talks, let me pull it up, make sure it's the right one actually. But um yes, if you email me using Chase Talks Hip Hop Podcast at gmail dot com, if you have any dope music, beats, content, anything that I can promote, an album, whatever, if you have a service, let me know so I can promote it. Um music, I can play it, whatever you whatever it is you got. I'm looking for people to interview underground artists. Um, yeah. So, who else? Uh, Cassius recently released a project. And if you don't remember Cassius, he's uh, worked with Eminem. And um, on uh, the re-up, he was, I think he was at one point signed uh, the Shady Records. But really what what's messed up is I feel like they underutilized him. And it uh, I, I, I do feel bad in the case of Cassius because he's so fucking dope. And he did get underutilized in such a way. You know, but he has been dropping a lot of music. Earlier this year, he released The Art of Living under X-Ray Records. Then he put out CH4. Pull up this track list real quick. Come on, Cassius. Where you at? The Art of Dying. No, 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 no. All right, where is this? It has to be in the charts. Gotta check the charts and shit. God damn it, iTunes. Don't say that. I should probably shouldn't say that. I put my podcast on here. Um Yeah, no, th- no, like this this chart looks interesting. Um trying to find this. What the fuck? Soul on that burner boy, fifty cent, Nipsey Hustle, Jadina. I like Jadina. Uh Jadina, you know, I gotta say real quick, shout out to Jadina. I like his music. I like um but in Luke Cage, they had that one record, um, uh, the Chief record. I really fucked with that one. That was a good one. Come on. Yeah, it was crazy. I swear, I pulled up the album, but now I can't find the track list anywhere. That's bullshit. But anyway, solid project. Make sure to go check it out. Show Cassius some love. And uh, yeah, so Hollywood is bleeding. Um, this is the new album by Post Malone. And again, like... You know, this is kind of if if you're a post Malone fan, like you're gonna enjoy this project. Like a lot of like what I like with with some of these albums, 
I really have to be in a a mood to want to listen to him. Like, this isn't really a project I'm just going to throw on for the fuck of it. But, you know, Post Malone, I do, I do like the concept that he, that he's playing with, you know, Hollywood is bleeding, you know, I do like that idea, I like the, I like the actual title track a lot, Hollywood's bleeding, you know, it, I thought it was a great introduction, Enemies featuring baby, well done, uh, Die For Me, you know, that was cool, you know, I'm, I was like super surprised you got Ozzy Osbourne considering he's like a million years old, really cool, you got SZA, Sway Lee, Young Thug, you know, so you got a fair amount of guests on this project, but I, all you know, all the weight is pulled, and it was an interesting combination, you know, hearing Travis Scott and shit with Osborne, you know, it, like I, like I said, just go check it out, you know, it's a pretty solid project, and I, I know I listed a lot of albums and shit, but there's gonna be plenty of stuff coming out. Just thank you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, just go check it out. And I want to talk about, uh, what is it, the, you know, I know this isn't the MMA podcast, but real quick, if anyone was fucking with uh, the UFC, the 242 fight card between Habib and uh, Dustin Poirier, I thought that fight was crazy, you know, hats off to both gentlemen, you know, both are incredible athletes, warriors, you know, nothing but respect for them, and it was a hell of a bout, you know, I gotta say, I was, I was really at the edge of my seat a little bit watching it, you know, when Dustin had that guillotine, but, um, yeah, it was, it was tough, you know, I definitely feel for Dustin in that situation, you know, I mean, when I saw Habib smash the shit out of Connor, I was like, all right, cool, you know, Connor really did bury his own grave in that situation, but Habib, I, I do, like, with Dustin, like, you, you just like the dude, you know, and it's hard to not like him, so, you know, hats off to both gentlemen. I thought uh, it was a very classy affair between both of them. And, yeah, what a fucking fight. I, I'm I'm just really excited. I know this is off on a tangent. Like, why is Chase talking about this? But, yeah, I'm trying to fill up this podcast and talk about other things. You know what I mean? I love hip-hop, but I, I rush, I not rush through these topics, but I go through all these topics, and I just want to talk about something else. And speaking of hip-hop, I think one of the most hip-hop fights is about to happen November 2nd between Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz. That's really cool, and I'm very excited to be seeing that shit because, my God, Nate can fucking throw down like no other. And on top of that, you know, you have fucking Jorge Masvidal who is no fucking, you know, slouch either, so it's going to be a good fucking time. See what's happening. But, yeah, the Habib versus Poirier fight. I suggest if you haven't seen it, go sit back on YouTube. I'm gonna go like, what? I wonder what is happening, you know? Cause, God, I know I like it was. I was supposed to have this thing out yesterday. I'm getting it out today. Uh, like certain uh, issues came up for me, but I'm just like, like I said, you know, you can't take too much time off. I have to get this podcast out, but. I'm super happy because like this is the zone I want to be in. I want to be able to break down certain things happening, but I just see like these these articles and none of them are interesting to me. Young Tom Brady gives Young Thug and Gunna a cosign. Okay, that's hilarious. Space Ghost Perp issues threat to ASAP Rocky in recently surfaced video. 50 Cent confirms he's ignoring any calls from Takashi 69 Yeah, hot new hip-hop. Yeah, wow. Friends of Love and hip- Hip-Hop star has Maserati stolen Atlanta gas station. 
God in the House, Christchurch Cathedral remixing mass with hip hop. Yeah, there's been some crazy shit going on. Yeah, it's wild. And you know what? You know what's hilarious? Like, e- even lately, I've had some conversations. Uh, do you guys know about the letter? The letter that the government sent to record labels. Uh, you know, it's. Let me find a description of it because it's hard to break down. But essentially, there's a conspiracy that, you know, there's this conspiracy that the Illuminati, the government, whoever may be, the powers that be, um, you know, pretty much like, I'm trying to find this anonymously, that the powers that be essentially pump this idea of a uh, you know gangster rap and they say hey get this gangster music out that way we can corrupt minds and everything but uh i think i found something huffington post gangster rap conspiracy theory goes because this is also on dead end hip-hop but i just want to basically read this give a brief description and then break down what i think I love music history and I love good conspiracy theories. That's not to say I believe conspiracy theories. I just find them entertaining. This explains why I've watched a lot of history channels since it's morphed into the ancient Nazi alien network. So when the music blogosphere along with Facebook, Twitter, etc. lit up this week with an anonymous letter entitled The Secret Meeting That Changed Rap Music and Destroyed a Generation. Here we go. Um... I simply had to say thank you, Internet. So here it is, the secret beating. Yeah, and I can't resist a story that combines the socio-political elements of hip-hop with far-fetched stories of corruption and immortality. I- immorality. The yeah. the unsigned letter originally posted on the blog "Hip Hop Is Red" is written by a self-proclaimed decision maker working for an equally anonymous major label. He contends that in 1991, he was invited to a secret meeting of 25 to 30 industry insiders and a group of armed shady figures. In brief, the insiders were told the record labels had invested in the recently conceived private prison industry. In order to ensure profits for their new business venture, the recording executives were directed to promote gangster rap music, a genre that was just beginning to emerge. By popularizing criminality, they would fill the private prisons and ensure their profitability. <clears throat> oh, I got, I just, something just popped up. 6 9 will testify that his role in the nine trade gangsta bloods was to make money for the gang. All right. Um, let me get back to this. Regrettably, for my sense of delicious, this conspiracy story doesn't stand up to the test of common sense. It opts instead for a complex explanation of social and political phenomena when simple explanation will do. First, let's imagine the record labels really planned this sordid plot. I would I would have taken only one or two label heads to their A&R people. And I, I don't want to hear his opinion too much. I don't want anyone to get infected with that. I'm just, I want to try to find the, the raw article shit. You know, um, what is it called? It was uh, Hip Hop is Red, Self-Proclaimed, Farfetch Stories. The secret meeting that changed rap. Secret meeting that changed rap I wonder yeah who knows like was Joe Biden there who was all there fucking maybe Ronald Reagan um <laughs> um the secret meeting that changed rap music and destroyed a generation let me find this all right 
Um, so hip hop is red. So I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna read from the source now. Hello. After more than 20 years, I finally decided to tell the world what I witnessed in 1991, which I believed was one of the biggest was one of the biggest turning points in popular music and ultimately American society. I have struggled for a long time, long time weighing the pros and cons of making this story public as I was reluctant to as I was reluctant to implicate the individuals who were present that day. So I've simply decided to leave out names and all the details that may risk my personal well-being and that of those who were like me dragged into something they weren't ready for. Between the late 80s and early 90s, I was what you may call a decision maker with one of the more established companies in the music industry. I came from Europe in the early 80s and quickly established myself in the business. The industry was different back then. Since technology and media weren't accessible to people like they are today, the industry had more control over the public and had the means to influence them any way it wanted. This may explain why in early 1991 I was invited to attend a closed-door meeting with a small group of music business insiders to discuss rap music's new direction. Little did I know that we would be asked to participate in one of the most unethical and destructive businesses practices of business practice I've ever seen. The meeting was held at a private residence on the outskirts of Los Angeles. I remember about 25 to 30 people being there most of them familiar faces. Speaking of those I knew, we joked about the theme of the meeting as many of us did not care for rap music and failed to see the purpose of being invited to a private gathering to discuss its future. Among the attendees was a small group of unfamiliar faces who stayed to themselves and made no attempt to socialize beyond their circle. Based on their behavior and formal appearances, they didn't seem to be our industry. Our casual chatter was interrupted when we were asked to sign a confidentiality agreement preventing us from publicly discussing the information presented during the meeting. Needless to say, this intrigued and in some cases disturbed many of us. The agreement was only a page long but very clear on the matter and consequences which stated that violating the terms would result in, in a job termination. We asked several people what this meeting was about and the reason for such secrecy, but didn't find anyone who had answers for us. A few people refused to sign and walked out. No one stopped them. I was tempted to follow, but curiosity got the best of me. A man who was part of the unfamiliar group collected the agreements from us. Quickly after the meeting began, one of my industry colleagues, who shall remain nameless like everyone else, thanked us for attending. He then gave the floor to a man who only introduced himself by, the fir by first name and gave no further details about his personal background. I think he was owner of the residence, but it was never confirmed. He briefly praised all of us for the success we had achieved in our industry and congratulated us for being selected as part of this small group of decision makers. There might be some holes in this story, but I'm kind of, wow, this is interesting, right? At this point, I began to feel slightly uncomfortable at the strangeness of this gathering. Slightly. The subject quickly changed as the speaker went on to tell us that the respective companies we represented had invested in a very profitable industry which could become even more rewarding with our active involvement. He explained that the companies we had worked for had invested millions into the building of privately owned prisons that our positions of influence in the music industry would actually impact the profitability of these investments. I remember many of us in the group, imme group immediately, immediately looking at each other and confusion at the time i didn't know what a private prison was but i wasn't the only one 
Sure enough, someone asked what these prisons were and what any of and any of this had to do with us. We were told that these prisons were built by privately owned companies who received funding from the government based on the number of inmates. The more inmates, the more money the government would pay these prisons. It was also made clear to us that since these prisons are privately owned, as they become publicly traded and we'd be able to buy shares, most of us were taken back by this. <clears throat> Again, a couple of people asked what this had to do with us. At this point, my industry colleague who had first opened the meeting took the floor again and answered our questions. He told us that since our employers had become silent investors in this prison business it was now in their it was now in their interest to make sure that these prisons remained filled our job would be to help make this happen by marketing music which promotes criminal behavior rap being the music of choice he assured us that this would be a great situation for us because rap music was becoming an increasingly profitable market for our companies and as employee, we'd also be able to buy personal stocks in these prisons immediately silence came over the room you could have heard a pen drop. I remember looking around to make sure I wasn't dreaming and saw half of the and ads make sure I wasn't dreaming and saw half of the people with dropped jaws. My days was interrupted when someone shouted, "Is this a fucking joke?" Mm. Is this a fucking joke? At this point, things became chaotic. Two of the men were who were part of the unfamiliar group grabbed the man who shouted out and attempted to remove him from the house. A few of us, myself included, tried to intervene. One of them pulled out a gun and we all backed off. They separated us from the crowd and all four of us were escorted outside. My industry colleague who had opened the meeting earlier hurried out to meet us and reminded us what he had what we had signed agreement and would suffer the consequences of speaking about this publicly or even with those who attended the meeting. I asked him why he was involved with something this corrupt, and he replied that it was bigger than the music business and nothing we'd want to challenge without risking consequences. We all protested, and as he walked back into the house, I remember word for word the last thing he said. It's out of my hands now. Remember, you signed an agreement. He then closed the door behind him. The men rushed us to our cars and actually watched until we drove off. A million things were going through my mind. As I drove away, and I eventually decided to pull over and park on a side street in order to collect my thoughts. I replayed everything in my mind repeatedly, and it all seemed very surreal to me. I was angry with myself for not having taken a more active role in questioning what had been presented to us. I'd like to believe the shock of it all is, is what, what, what suspended my better nature. After what seemed like an eternity, I was able to calm myself enough to make it home. I didn't talk or call anyone that night. The next day back at the office, I was visibly out of it but blamed it on being under the weather. No one else in my department had been invited to the meeting and I felt a sense of guilt for not being able to share what I had witnessed. I thought about contacting... I thought about contacting the three others who were kicked out of the house, but I didn't remember their names and thought that tracking them down would probably bring unwanted attention. I considered speaking out publicly at the risk of losing my job, but I realized I'd probably be I'd probably be I would probably be jeopardizing more than my job, and I wasn't willing to risk anything happening to my family. I thought about those men with guns and wondered who they were. I had been told that this was bigger than the music business, and all I could do was let my imagination run free 
There were no answers and no one to talk to. I tried to do a little bit of research on private prisons, but they didn't uncover anything about the music business involvement. However, the information I did find confirmed how dangerous this prison business this prison business really was. Days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months. Eventually, it was as if the meeting had never taken place. It all seemed surreal. I became more reclusive and stopped going to indus- any industry events unless professionally obligated to do so. On two occasions, I found myself attending the same function as my former colleague. Both times our eyes met, but nothing more was exchanged. How long is this thing? Jesus, my God. God damn it. Um, as the months passed, rap music had definitely changed changed direction. I was never a fan of it, but even I could tell the difference. Rap acts that talked about politics or harmless fun were quickly fading away as gangster rap started dominating the airwaves. Only a few months had passed since the meeting, but I suspect that the ideas presented that day had been successfully implemented. It was as if the order had been given to all major label executives. The music was climbing the charts and most companies when more that w- most companies were more than happy to capitalize on it. Each one was churning out their very own gangster rap acts on an assembly line. Everyone everyone bought into it, consumers included. Violence and drug use became a central theme in most rap music. I spoke to a few of my peers in the industry to get their opinions on the new trend but was told repeatedly that it was all about supply and demand. Sadly, many of them even expressed that the music reinforced their prejudice of minorities. I officially quit the music business in 1993, but my heart had already taken but my heart had already left months before. I broke ties with the majority of my peers and removed and removed myself from this thing I once loved. I took some time off, returned to Europe for a few years, settled out of state and lived a quiet life away from the world of entertainment. As the years passed, I managed managed to keep my secret, fearful fearful of sharing it with the wrong person, but also a little ashamed of not having had the balls to blow the whistle. But as rap got worse, my guilt grew. Fortunately, in the late 90s, having the internet as a resource, which wasn't at my disposal in the early days, made it easier for me to investigate what is now labeled the prison industrial complex. Now that I have a greater understanding of how private prisons operate, things make much more sense than they ever have. I see how the criminalization of rap music played a big part in promoting racial stereotypes and misguided so many impressionable young minds into adopting these glorified criminal behaviors which often led to incarceration. 20 years of guilt is a heavy load to carry, but the least I can do is to share my story, hoping that fans of rap realize how they've been used for the past two decades. Although I plan on remaining anonymous for obvious reasons, my goal now is to get this information out to as many people as possible. Please help me spread the word. Hopefully others who attended the meeting back in 1991 will be inspired by this and tell their own stories. Most importantly, if only one life has been touched by my story, I pray it makes the way to my guilt a little bit more tolerable. Thank you. So, okay. Ah, that's a lot. Jesus Christ. It's a lot of fucking reading. Okay, so... I don't really know, man. Like, cause like it, it can go both ways. Like, this can be all all be truly utter bullshit. None of it was really real. It could be somewhere in the middle. It could all be true. But... One thing you can't deny is, yeah, private prisons, you know, they do fuck over a lot of people. They do put a lot of minorities in jail, and they do wrongfully uh, 
convict a lot of young people and it is true that a lot of like all their like you can buy shares in these private prison industries and it's really crazy and to think that in 1991 if there really was this whole entire plot i mean that's incredibly elaborate the only thing i'm wondering is you know because 19 i mean what is it this was 1991 this happened in 1989 wasn't that when nwa debuted so to gangster rap was already there but i'm wondering like were these people were they trying to say oh we're gonna promote it more i'm just wondering because like because because there's, there's two sides to this coin where gangster rappers are reporters you know what i mean they're reporting what's happening so i'm thinking like did they have the influence? Did the environment have the influence? It's a really weird thing. Like, if the, if this really happened and, and if they really put all that music on the airwaves to corrupt young people and, and to fill up prisons, then it, it maybe it worked a little bit. I mean, because, yeah, there are a lot of young people in private prisons, you know, a lot of black people, minorities, and it's a fucked up situation, you know? And just, like, looking at this article, like, if, if let's let's say everything in there is true. I say everything in there is true, all right? Um, it, it would make sense to a degree that the prison industry would want to, you know, go to the music industry and say, hey, how can we influence people? Because it is true that the media, especially in that time without the internet, there was, there was a huge control factor that you can't deny. But, my God, like, th this just trips me out in so many ways. It really does. This whole entire conspiracy of the prison industrial complex and hip hop's role in it. This is why I love conspiracies. They make. That's why I love conspiracies. They really make you think. Uh, might have sounded muff. Might have sounded muffled. Um, no conspiracies. They really make you think in this <clears throat> in this vein. And now we can have like this industrial prison industrial complex kind of conversation, but. It's wild that you know in the case of hip hop, you know, being a hip hop artist myself, like. The amount of power like label executives have, like I want to tell like tell you this, like if you're an artist grinding in your bedroom, just realize like what's separating you from like that or Drake is like th these people have a lot of money behind them, and the one part that really resonated was when like you know what whoever was in charge of charge of the meeting said, oh it's out of our hands, and I'm thinking that would make sense, right? Because if they've already bought into the industry, they they've already bought like the them the owners pretty much they buy everything out so it probably did give them some leverage if this is all true then they probably had leverage to you know corrupt the industry a little bit but it, it's really hard to like fully believe this story because gangster rap it's not like it was non-existent and there was always like political hip-hop you know and I'm, i mean what i could i see them promoting it more yes and could i see the possibility that they might have wanted to phase certain rappers out yeah you know because public enemy was getting people to question shit so maybe they wanted to curb curb everything and you know the in in the article too uh i mean that letter that the the post that was written <clears throat> you know I, i'm gonna leave a link to it as well down in the description if you want to check it out and we can talk talk about this but I feel two ways about this. So if this is true, this is one of the most elaborate crimes of all time. One of the most elaborate, large-scale crimes of all time upon humanity, upon America. And 
But if it's not true, this is just another conspiracy theory. But if it is true, this is why this is why I really got to think about this shit because I don't know for sure. You know, I don't know for sure. Like I said, uh, was it rule number one hundred and eighty? Record industry is shady. It is shady. You know, th this this is why it's hard to believe that that the record industry wouldn't put their hands in this and they wouldn't want money from private prison industries considering how much they're starving maybe they they were <clears throat> maybe they they foresaw the because in these contracts right that they would give rappers that all right blah 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 we'll have the rights to mp3 this that or anything in the future and pretty much a lot of artists you know they're fighting to get their digital rights for their music because they didn't know about oh this the technology and a lot of these label heads, they did. They had a, they had, um, you know, an awareness of the technology, and they didn't explain. In the future, there's going to be a possibility, you know, iTunes Store, and you could make money off that. But they wanted to screw people over in the future. So what they did was they put it in the contract. Oh, we'll get this, this, and any um, other form of your music in the future. It, it's a really, it's a tough way to explain it, but. Considering everything that they'll do to an artist, is it really hard to believe that that they could that they would do this, you know, that they would put a bunch of fucking minorities in prison? I, it's really not too hard to believe. That's where that's where I'm at, you know. Like it's fucking crazy, you know. But if, if this is all true, this is definitely the biggest. This is the most criminal shit ever, ever in in the music world. I mean, like really, this is some of the most criminal shit. Um. <clears throat> gangster shit, gangster criminal shit. You know, they wanted to promote gangster rap and they did some incredibly gangster shit. Like, how do we control the public? How do we people put people in prison and manipulate them? That's insane. You know, that is insane, you know. But also, it's weird because, like, this conspiracy kind of plays out. It looks like a movie scene. You know, reading it, I'm like, is this real? Like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's just, it's so surreal to think of, you know. Like, maybe that's, how if this was real when he, when that guy was there that must have been how he felt like this is really weird confusing i don't know how to feel about this it's a strange thing you know i i want to ask you guys like what do you think about it do you think this is a real conspiracy uh do, do i mean obviously it's a conspiracy but do you think that this could have really happened do you think there's no way do you think it's somewhere in the middle because <clears throat> i mean maybe like this meeting might not have happened but Maybe the meeting didn't happen in this specific way. Maybe my one theory is that this person is a creative writer, an author of some sort, uh, a blogger. Maybe they, they put together this really cool story, this really interesting, enthralling story, and to get our attention. Because it, it could play out like a movie in some scenes, you know? Like, this is a huge conspiracy, you know? Considering if they really streamline gangster rap to put young black people, you know, minorities, Hispanics, whoever in prison and feed that industry so they could buy shares. That is some of the most cold blooded shit ever committed on American soil, soil, not soil, soil. And, um, you know, if it's all real, you know, I want those people to come to justice because that's a fucking travesty. But it's also a weird thing because as a hip-hop fan, I do enjoy a lot of gangster rap, you know, like West Side Connection, Ice Cube. And a lot of this music was already in place before this meeting. So, I mean, what was it? Was it Were they just upping the promotion budget? Because America's Most Wanted 
to me that's a gangster rap album but it's also one of the most it's a very political rap album too so this is where i'm coming from because that album what was that released in the 90s was it released in 91 let me look um that song is full with is full the album is full of a lot of political records you know and it's when i it's ice cube's best album you know it's his debut it's definitely a great album america cuts most wanted you know like if you look at the lyrics of it it's gangster rap but there is also a very much a political message to it you know what i'm saying like there is a political message and it's very liberal and it's it's just weird to look at considering the content of the project like if they wanted to i don't know if they wanted to corrupt people i don't know how this album would do it so i'm just i'm just thinking because this project was released in 1990 oh okay all right so maybe i'm wrong but this is still somewhat of a gangster rap project but it's like gangster political rap hardcore rap and this was a year before the meeting, so maybe they saw the potential of it. Maybe they wanted to take out any form of positivity from it and then manipulate it. And then whatever, later down the line, we got trap music and this and that. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, maybe, is this all just an elaborate hoax? Probably. It, it's it's a mind fuck, really. That's all I have to say. Like, this, this, this has to fuck with your head a little bit, you know? And... I I know where, how I'm going to keep on going on about this. This is just really weird. And I have a lot to think on. But I just want to say thank you guys for listening. You guys are awesome. You you you, you are the reason I do this podcast. Um, I want to give some shout-outs. I know I haven't been up on social media, but I want to give a shout-out to uh, TJ Marshall, uh, Husa Ray, uh, Justin Pines, Na- uh, Natalie Federal. Uh, I'll make sure to leave some links. Uh, who is VGT3 make sure to go check out his blog uh, Aubin St. George has a new album out called Real Spit go check it out um, he's going to be on my playlist um, yeah I, I just want to say you know guys like I just thank you you know everyone who supports me I'm, I'm coming back to social media I'm putting out more stuff promoting getting out more content again I had to take a little bit of time I've, uh, I've just I've had to reorchestrate some things in my life I'm just happy to be back doing this consistently. I love podcasting. I love hip-hop. I love music. I love to be a part of the conversation. And expect more long-form content. I'm really happy that I was able to put put together a podcast this long. Um, again, because I haven't put together a long-form podcast. Like, all my... It's crazy. A lot of my podcasts have just been over an hour after my first one. But I'm really trying to put together more long-form content just so I can keep people in tune. And, yeah... Just keep 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 out there because I'm really trying to grow my audience. I really want to build this up, everything from that to my YouTube channel, and it it really it, it means so much to me. Thank you guys. You know, it, it really does mean a lot. Um, cortisol <clears throat> is going to be dropping in November, and uh, Immaculate Matter uh, January first. So just look out for that new projects. Uh, just shout out to everyone. You know, showing me love. I thank you guys so much it it just means the world to me and everyone I miss you know thank you you know I'm sorry you know but but thank you guys you know my followers um anyone who shows love millennium rap UG thank you guys I really appreciate it and yeah please send me your music content all of that I, I had a great time um and I, I I think like 
if you guys send me more of your music, I'll be able to put together my playlist. My playlist will be put together way faster. And yeah, I get I want to promote people. You know, there's a lot of great music out there. There are a lot of people who deserve to, to get their voices heard. And yeah. Anyway, I just want to say thank you guys. And uh, I just want to let you guys in on a real treat. Um, this is a record from TJ Marshall. I recently interviewed him. I recently interviewed him. Feel free to go check that out. I'm going to play this record for you. Like get the title of it real quick, real quick. Blah, blah. Pulling up the title. I'm going to be great by TJ Marshall. All right, I'm going to play this. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Thank you guys for listening. Peace and love. I'll see you around.